What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm Jewel Schmitz, accompanied by James Jackson and Jake Galley. Here's a fact straight at you. Since the Warriors got KD, they are 41-6 and when they force a turnover on 15% of their opponent's possessions, which they did last night against Houston. Yeah, that was a that was a struggling game for my Rockets. First of all, I wore my Rockets jersey today on purpose. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Oh, we noticed. I, I am a little down on my squad, but I'm rocking with them. I'm rocking with them until they fall off. So let's be real. You know what I mean? I feel you. Now, we we did struggle like mightily last night against those Warriors. I haven't seen a team come out the gates that bad, that poorly in a playoff game in a while. Like they, the, the turnovers, the defensive rebounding, it all was going bad. And they kind of have you guys reeling a little bit with the death lineup. They've only ran this lineup, and the lineup I'm speaking of has Draymond Green at the center position. Andre Iguodala slotting in as one of the forwards. That lineup is really kind of pick your poison because if you want to go big, they're going to switch on to Quinn Capella with either Curry or Durant, and they're going to attack him. And then if you go out and you want to put Tucker or whoever else at the five and try and go small versus them, then they're going to try and take him once again and and, and brutalize you in the middle. I, I think the Rockets can still come back in this series, but it's going to take a concerted effort from James Harden and from Chris Paul to kind of get their guys going. I, I, I honestly don't know what you could ask for more than game one. I mean, I know game one. Game one uh, was ugly, but a fun game. Well, I guess it, is a good way to put it. it. Not, not if you're the referees. Yeah, no, no, not if you're the referees. I think we all know game what's going one on was, with that. Game one was wild. Game one can't really be summed up in, in any one word. I just want to focus on game two, because even though the Warriors go to that death lineup and they go small, you cannot, if you're Clint Capella, like you cannot get outworked like that. On the boards, you can't. James, they, they say why? the two things. Hold on, they say the two things you have to do when you're on the road uh, in a playoff game is you have to control the boards and you cannot turn the ball over. And the Rockets did the opposite of both of those things last night playing the Warriors, and it hurt them. Hurt them tr- tremendously. Yeah, a thousand percent. You know what I mean? No, I could, I actually I to be honest with you, I want I want the Rockets to win this series, and I think they're very capable. I think they're very capable of doing it. Mm. I just have a quick question. Why ever don't you want to talk about game one? <laughs> I don't want to talk about... You know why I don't want to talk about game one. As a Rockets fan, I've been... Like, the first thing people ask me is, well, what do you think about the referee situation? Like, do you hate Scott Foster too? And, like, I'm... No, I don't like Scott Foster. Yes, I, they missed a ton of bad calls, and the James Harden three at the end was a foul, and they no. missed it. No, it was. But I'm also... Like, I don't have the mental capacity to talk about it and to deal with it anymore. I'm, I'm very much, like... On, on Draymond Green's side of this, the only thing I agree with him is it happened, the game is over, move on, and let's focus on basketball now instead yep. of focus on the calls that we missed. It, can, it cannot get turned over. The well, game is over. And, and to your point, I actually think Scott Foster quelled a lot of people's fears, and that game, too, was a very well-officiated game, in my opinion. Yeah. Back to your point about Clint Capella. For me, he has to be someone who unlocks your team, who isn't a liability out mm-hmm. there who gets attacked. He has to be someone who is catching lobs, who's getting offensive and defensive rebounds. And right now, he's not doing any of that. They're kind of targeting him, and he's pretty useless out there. When you look at the statistics, the Golden State Warriors are pulling in 32.5% of offensive rebounds available, meaning once every three Three, times a ball's coming off that rim, they're bringing it down for an offensive rebound. If the Rockets have any chance of coming back, that cannot be the case. And you know why it is. Like, if you look at Clint Capella's stat line, he still poured in 14 and 10 last night. Still had a double-double, still had double-digit rebounds. The problem is, he is literally the only one down there rebounding. 
The reason why the Warriors have so many offensive rebounds is because four or five people crash the glass at all times. The Rockets need to make a much more concerted effort into more people getting in the paint and helping out Clint Capella. He can't out-rebound the whole Warriors squad by himself. And the Rockets rely a lot on made shots so that rebounds don't have to happen. And they're not going to happen against such a good defensive team like the Warriors. Now, if we go to the offensive side of the ball, that's where I think a lot of the adjustments and a lot of change has to happen. Like the whole iso ball thing with James Harden, just it, it's got to be minimized. It's got to be done away with, especially if you have bad vision and bad eyesight. Like, I, I don't need James Harden to change his game. I don't need James Harden to do anything different. But I do need him to have a better basketball IQ and to realize when things aren't working and things need to change and be different. You know, with the with the offense, when James Harden goes into that ISO mode, you gotta watch the rest of the Rockets' offense. There's literally no movement, no cutting, no screening, no trying to get open. It's just waiting to see what is James gonna do next, and that's what doesn't work against the Warriors. I just need James Harden to stop doing one thing, and that's dropping to the floor like a soccer player. <laughs> Other than that, um, I agree with you. Well, and, and I back to you complaining about people asking you about Scott Foster. I'm just so tired Your of it. two best players bring it on the way they cry yeah. about the referees. And then on top of that, the organization goes out and releases an audit. The Rockets audited the refs uh, in the Game 7 performance of last year's Western Conference Finals and came out with a couple conclusions, one of which is that the refs cost the Rockets a chance at the Finals and on top of that cost them $20 million in revenue from the NBA Finals. Obviously, this is, isn't going to change anything, but do you think it's... I, I view it as almost a tactic to manipulate the referees. It is. It's a tactic to put that in the back of their mind so that going forward, there's more conscious to call those calls and let's not miss them so we get audited. And to be fair, I don't think Scott Foster paid much more attention to those fouls last night. The, James Harden only got one three-point foul call last night, and it was still a better officiated game. But you know who we sound like when we do that? We sound like the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, we sound like very we, we sound like we lost a game and we just can't deal with it, so we have to find someone else to blame. This is it. It count. It comes down to as a team. It comes down to accountability and mental toughness mm -hmm. and how what you can focus on and be in control of. Yeah, and I do think the Warriors have been the tougher team so far this series. They've been the more efficient team, and they've been the more well-rounded team. All starters were in double figures both of the games uh, of this series. Um, but where I think the, the Warriors are very vulnerable is they're not deep. We're used to a Warriors team being pretty deep off the bench. The bench has only combined for 24 points through both games. So, and our bench has been pretty good. Austin Rivers, I think, could have been the difference in game one if he played. Well, it, okay. As a Rockets fan, I, I would not feel good in saying, yeah, this series really hinges on Austin Rivers. No, I, I, it doesn't hinge on him. But Austin Rivers came off the bench line, last night and had 11 quick points and, through that first and second quarter. If he comes in and game one and does that, we're looking at a gap that's much, that's much closer, much no, much you know, easier of a game to play. It doesn't hinge on Austin Rivers, but your backup point guard coming in and giving you points is a big part of your team, and he wasn't there in game one. That would have helped. Do you think um, the what was the whole manipulation and the controlling of the referees that were going on in game one, do you think that kind of put a target on the Rockets' back? Well, in the Rockets' mind, they always think they have a target on we their back. They do have a target on our back. Uh, well, <laughs> you're a team that... You're part of the strategy, and I'm not really even hating on this. It's part of the game. Is drawing fouls. Harden draws more fouls. He's you know a, an incredible at drawing contact and getting to the line. That is a skill. However, when that is your strategy, you then open the door 
for more calls to be missed when you're out there hunting and looking mm -hmm. for contact. Sometimes referees are, are going to get tired of calling that, especially late in games, in playoff games, and we see it play out here. And what to, to that point, that, that happens a lot on James Harden's ISO. And people think that it's not a game plan and it's not a tactic. It is. Now, when we break down who James Harden is guarded by and his points that he gets, James Harden averages, I believe, it's 59 points per 100 possessions mm -hmm. in the league. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. He averages about 49 points per 100 percent. Per 100 possessions when he's guarded by Steph Curry, that drops down to 29 when he's guarded by Klay Thompson. So James Harden will seek out that one-on-one -on -one matchup against Steph Curry, and when he gets it, he doesn't want to give the ball up. It's either I'm getting to the rim or I'm getting fouled, and he tries to do that, but it's leaning more towards the I'm looking for fouls, and when you go hunting for fouls, most of the time you're going to miss it. Well, right, as you said, and as he should attack that matchup, we've seen it's not uncommon for bigger guards like him to attack a worse defender. That That, that is the smart move. Mm -hmm. I just think with the way that Harden, I mean, not only does he try and draw the, draw the fouls, when there isn't a foul call, you're going to hear about it, and you're probably going to see him spewed, as Jules said, all across the ground. Um, and as a fan of James Harden, it's one thing that I'd like to see change in his game. Yeah, that, that did hurt a little bit, Joel, because you're right, like flopping like a soccer player. Like, it, it does. Like, when you go back and look at that call that was It wasn't was just missed, him, though. It was Chris Paul, too. Chris Paul was doing the same thing. That's, I mean, it's really our whole team. And then the complaining that happens afterwards. Exactly. Like, we are, are incapable of letting it go. The call was missed. You yelling at Scott Foster isn't going to make him change the right, call. It's, it's, it's going to make it worse than anything. Right, not going to say, oh, you know what? You were right. Uh, two free throws for the Rockets. Right. And you know what happens while you're busy complaining? The Warriors are running back at the other end getting a bucket. Like, there were like, two or three times where even on a made bucket, the Warriors scored within five seconds of the shot clock. That's just not getting back on defense. Right, they, may be, they might beat you down the court when you're not complaining about the call, when you see them coming. When you're over there in the ref's ears, it does not help. So the Warriors' death lineup caused a lot of problems for the Rockets, especially when Clint Capella was on the court last night. When Capella was on the court, the Warriors' death lineup was plus 19. Now, when he was off the court and they went small again, putting Daniel House in the game and putting P.J. Tucker at the five. Daniel. Yeah, they went to minus three. What does that tell you? It tells you Clint Capella's... Of a it tells you that Clint Capella is getting outworked. Yeah. <laughs> Draymond Green. Now, Draymond Green's a great player, a very pivotal to the Warriors team, but I don't think Draymond Green can be out rebounding Clint Capella. He shouldn't be. Especially if they're matched up together. Like, Clint Capella's got to win that rebounding matchup, and he did it. You know what I mean? Mike D'Antoni has an opportunity to make his first ever finals as a coach, and he's coached some pretty good teams yeah. to make his first ever finals, and that looks like it's in jeopardy down 2 0. Draymond, an extremely spirited guy. Uh, as Capella can often get outworked, as you've been saying. Mm -hmm. Another guy who seems like he shouldn't be as good and as successful as he is, but is our friend of the program, Mr. Al Horford. <laughs> His team lost 123-102 to 102 Milwaukee Bucks, evening that series up in what was uh, a writing of the ship, almost. Yeah, it was a really different Game 1 and Game 2, especially from one of the most dominant players in the NBA and Kyrie Irving, who struggled mightily in that game too. Like just absolutely mightily got worked in all phases of the game and really just seemed to, when he got taken out of the game, took himself out of the game. We, we've talked a lot about Kyrie being like unhappy in Boston and when he's unhappy, it doesn't go right. And he was not happy in game two. No, not happy at all. What struck me in game one was, um, what was so powerful was not only what they did, but how they did it. Um, against the isolation of Giannis, mm. it, it was more so like they had a backup plan for their backup plan, 
And that's something that I think all teams need to have, especially, I mean, we could go into other games. We're not going to mm. compare and contrast right now. But, I mean, Giannis still came out with 22 points all in all, but the Celtics did a really good job with the isolation, I thought, they for the did. most part. So they let Giannis think he was in an isolation when he really wasn't. They had really good off-ball help. And when Giannis started to drive, there were three eyes on Giannis at all times. That one position where Al Horford blocks Giannis twice, he wasn't the primary defender. He came weak side and got him. Well, and not only that, what what they're doing in transition, in game one at least, was very impressive. They do the same thing to Ben Simmons, who is a primarily drive-to-the-basket type player, not much of a jump shot, where they wall him off. Literally, watch when Giannis comes down the court. There will be three eyes on him forming a straight line, mm-hmm. trying to prevent him from busting through and getting to the rim. And that does have some success until he's able to diagnose it. I think he needs to become a bit more of a passer in this series. Still, even last night, he's going two for four from three. And not that they were really back-breaking shots, but it still does open up the game. When he's hitting those shots, you have to give him a little bit more respect, come out a little further, and he's able to hurt you there. So Giannis hits those threes when everything is going right. You know what I mean? When, when Down in game one where they're getting blown out, Giannis isn't hitting those type of threes. But he will always hurt you in transition. And he did become a little bit better of a passer in game two because his supporting cast really helped him. Eric Bledsoe had a breakout game in game two. I think Eric Bledsoe can be one of those difference makers in this series because you're going to keen in on Chris Middleton. You're going to keen in on Giannis. Even sometimes you're going to key in on Brooke Lopez down in the middle who can really hurt you in that matchup, especially in transition, is Eric Bledsoe. Just really quick, I cannot stop laughing. Whenever Brooke Lopez fires up like a 30-foot three, it makes me flash back to like 2010 where he was a brutalizing back-to-the-basket center. My man's is a pure like Seven-foot Clay Thompson now. Mm-hmm. I just find it hilarious. <laughs> and it's funny because he's not going to get it. He's not really even in the running of it. But Brooke Lopez could have made a case for most improved player this year. Um, he he uh, saved most, his career. Yeah, most most changed player, especially as he's lost speed and athleticism. He gained a jump shot out of nowhere. It's crazy. Now, Chris Middleton had a really, really big game last night. He's a, a really stepped-up player this year. Listen to this stat. In the last nine playoff games versus Boston, he's shooting 63.6% from three. He went 7-10 last night. The, the, the Bucks. It's not something a lot of people don't know is the Bucks were the best three-point shooting team in a regular season, yep. and Chris Middleton spearheaded So that. the thing about the regular season, too, that really stands out to me, this team's built on adversity, right? So mm-hmm. they're like, during the regular season, they're down 15, 20 points, but they pull it together, they and don't. they bring it back, and I like, I kind of have hope for the underdog M- M- Milwaukee Bucks here. Like, yeah. I, I really do, and I, I like, honestly, I think they can pull it out in this series. Well, they're the, they're the best three-point shooting team, they're the deepest team in the league, and they're the best defensive efficiency like most efficient team on defense. And they arguably have the best player in the NBA right yeah. now. You could argue. You know what I mean? So to your point, when they get down, most teams try to shoot their way back in the games. Most people try to score to close gap. The Bucks focus on the defensive end. When they get it right on the defensive end and stop you and stop those runs, kill your momentum, that allows them to get it going. And plus, they have the best, they have not the best player in the league, definitely the best transition player in the league in Giannis. And mm-hmm. when you create misses and get out on the break, there are seldom people, if not no people, that can stop Giannis on the break. What's our thing, Jake? Seven billion people? <laughs> Seven billion people on this planet, not one of them can stop Giannis in transition. Not one. <laughs> not. That's correct. I, and you know what? The Bucks deserve praise, but I also look to the Celtics. As we talked about Kyrie Irving's struggles, like he hit like that one crazy turnaround, and then he hit a contested three, and I'm like, and I had just turned on the game. I was like, wow, Kyrie must be going off. I look, he's two of ten. Those were two shots that he had made, that he had made. So 
for Boston, I have to get Kyrie Irving going. And then I look at the ancillary guys. Gordon Hayward last game was a minus 30 in 31 minutes. That's atrocious. You look at Jason Tatum. He was 2 of 10, oh, you minus love, you 18. You love to hate Jason Yeah, I'm Tatum. rolling in that one, buddy. Like you, I love you that. You love to point out. No, he's, hey, that's the next Kobe, guys. Next Kobe going 2 of 10. Good job. <laughs> Laugh. I mean, Kobe did go 2 for 10 sometimes. Kobe would go 2 for 35 Whatever. The sometimes. point being is that people were making him out to be on a star level, and he just was not there. I, I almost feel bad because he has this expectation of, like, dude, why aren't you a star right now? where he's just not in the position to be a star. Well, you can't be the next Kobe if you're not good in ISO. Of the 95 players with 100 ISO plays this season, Tatum ranks 95th. So of the players in the league who ISO the most, and Tatum is above, is among those 95, Tatum is last, okay? So what really helps is when Gordon Hayward is playing good with that second unit, like Gordon Hayward really helps that second unit. In game one, Gordon Hayward was great and very efficient. And that second unit got going because of Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward going to the bench really helped and allows players like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in that second unit, especially since they don't have Marcus Smart right now. When, when Gordon Hayward spearheads that second unit, they really get going. And Jason Tatum benefits off Gordon Hayward more than I think he does anybody else on that team. And, and, and even when you look to Terry Rozier, who against Philadelphia was a total killer, he was 2 of 10 as well in 25 minutes. I think Brad Stevens will be able to figure this out. This is a series that I initially thought the Bucs were going to run away with. Obviously, after game one, the Bucs take a huge punch on the chin. They come back. This looks to be a six, seven game slugfest that we're about to witness, which if you're the Raptors or the Sixers, I think you have to like. Uh, well, and the Celtics were coming off a whole lot of momentum being one of the only sweeps in the first round. Um, taking care of the Indiana Pacers. So they come in with a whole lot of momentum, and you're right, it's probably going to go seven because I would think that the Celtics are going to hold home court in game three, but then I think the Bucks will probably steal home court back in game four, and then we make this a three-game series going back to Milwaukee, and then I think it's home, home, and home, and then you go seven. But what Milwaukee really has a chance to do when they go to the Garden is separate themselves with a the three-point shot. Like, the Celtics aren't a great three-point shooting team, and the Bucks are. So if the Bucs can get that going, the added addition of Nikola Miritich helps. If they get that going and spread the Celtics out on the floor a lot, they're not going to really know what to do, especially when you bring Horford out to the perimeter and bring big guys out to the perimeter to try to guard Giannis. They're, they're not really going to go, and they're really not going to do anything like that. So that's, that's it for the hardwood. But one of the biggest events of the year happened last week in the NFL draft, and it it for the most part, I think it was a pretty like run of the mill draft. Yeah, went to script for the most again. part. You know I mean? <laughs> except for a few of them. Except for a few of them. <laughs> Can we just get it out of the way real Let's quick? Let's get it out of the way. The, the New, New York, York Football Giants. Let's clap it up for the people in the back. What are you doing, Dave Gettleman? Hey, he watched him in the uh, Senior Bowl. Actually, I saw him in three drives and decided that he was going to be Shaking the sixth my pick. Head. There, uh, there is a couple people out there. Dan Kelly uh, of the Ringer came out and said that. The guy shouldn't have even been a top 100 pick. He wasn't going to put him on his top 100 players that he does, but was told he has to in case he's drafted and fans need someone to read up on. He needed to put him in there. That tells you all you need to know about the New York Giants. Well, I think last episode I mentioned that what they needed was Jesus, and I think it's safe to say they're not even close to that. No. Um, who they actually drafted, left, swing and a miss part, um, 
part of me wants to like hug him and the other part of me is like sheesh yeah (laughs) like wants to know like is everything okay at home because they're they're just (laughs) it's just bad and they love these senior bowl mvps they've drafted the last three senior bowl mvps last one being daniel jones it's like the only scouting they do he just shows up to the senior bowl and it's like that guy he's good so here's my my question after the draft what team immediately got better well there was a couple of them my favorite uh, was probably the team that picked number one overall. Usually when you pick number one overall, you Cardinals get right. pretty, better. Pr- pretty easy uh, for you to get a good player. They got their quarterback in Kyler Murray. The guy, we talked about it last show, he is an absolute stick of dynamite. He will blow you up through the air. He can use his legs. He's a little undersized, but he brings an element of excitement to Arizona they haven't had in a long time. And on top of that, they gave him some weapons. Weapons. One of my favorite receivers in the draft, Hakeem Butler, went in the fourth round. I thought he was going to be a second rounder. My man went in the fourth round. Yep. Uh, they got a couple other guys, Andy Isabella, um, and one other player, Keyshawn Thompson, I believe his name is. Regardless, those three players are top ten in receiving yards in the past year in the NCAA. Yeah, they got someone with a big arm who can excite people, and then they got him weapons around him, and then they get David Johnson back, one of the, the best players and most exciting players in the NFL. They get him back in the backfield. Like, the Cardinals did absolutely get better, but what scares me about the Cardinals is that their division is good because the Seahawks got better, too, locking down Russell Wilson, getting DK Metcalf, and they still have the Rams, who, even though they flopped in the Super Bowl, are going to be good in the regular season. So with a first-year quarterback and a first-year head coach and a lot of rookies on that team spearheading that offense, we'll see what the Cardinals will be able to do going forward. Who I think got immediately better is the team who drafted who the Giants should have drafted. (laughs) And the Washington Redskins picking up Dwayne Haskins. They probably got the best quarterback after Kyler Murray off the board. He was my favorite Mm -hmm. quarterback in the draft. Some people would argue some people liked him over Kyler Murray. I like him over Kyler Murray in the standpoint of he's a big body guy. I like my QBs to be big. No, pause. But I like (laughs) I like I like my quarterbacks to be big body because you're going to take hits at the quarterback mm-hmm. position, Love especially it. in the NFL. And I want to know that you're durable and can, and can sustain it. He's got a crazy arm, and he's going to really fit the Redskins' offense really well. What's really underrated about what the Redskins did is they added to that backfield. Bryce Love is a sleeper. And Bryce Love is going off at Stanford, and now they have this little three-headed monster in the backfield to get Darius Geis back. They re-signed Adrian Peterson and now get Bryce Love, who can really help in the passing game, something that their running backs haven't been able to do in, in past seasons. And I know they're in the NFC East, and the NFC East kind of fluctuates right. from year to year. When it's supposed to be good, it's bad. When it's supposed to be bad, it's good. And they're going to go up against some giants in there. But I, get, I think the Redskins have a very, very good opportunity to make some noise. I thought it was super cool how you reached out to Joe Theismann, too, about um, wearing the number seven. Mm-hmm. Um I just thought that was really down to earth and just out of respect, too. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. And let's not forget what they're doing at on the defensive end as well. They got Landon Collins um, from the Giants and then drafting Montez Sweat to go on the other side of Ryan Kerrigan. Like, the Redskins are, like, surprisingly deep. And it, it's, it's not uh, the usual of having the Redskins make strategically smart moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have an owner themselves, Dan Snyder, who is... Not the brightest human being no, at times. Uh, says some stuff that is a little inflammatory. But adding sweat, you get Haskins, who, Jewel, as you said, a lot of people liked as the number one guy. But they're kind of in the same position as the Cardinals are in the fact that there's a few people ranks above them in their own division. 
they have some ways to go. Um, and let's not forget last year that the Redskins were the best team in the division until Alex Smith got hurt and they had that little collapse. Mm-hmm. So they have what it takes. I think Jay Gruden's a really good coach. So they have what it takes to get it done. Our, our statistician stat matches gave me the craziest look. That's saying Jay Gruden is a good coach. Now, obviously, being a Buccaneers, being a Buccaneers fan, I'm keen on the Gruden family. But I do think Jay Gruden is a good coach and they have the pieces around them to get stuff done. Well, being a Green Bay fan, I have affiliation to Green Bay. I got family out there, so let's put that to rest before anybody comes at me. Um, I think they did a stellar job loading up on their defense. I think this is the most athletic defense they've had in a really long time, and I really do think they could reclaim the NFC North and win the division with what they have right now. Mm-hmm. I do. I mean, I mean, the NFC North is really always up for grabs. I mean, the the Bears won it last year, but I think if everyone played to their strength, I don't know if the Bears win the NFC North. What Carolina. about your buddy from Westchester? Got yeah, drafted not, the Let me give a shout-out to Nadir Roos. Uh, outside linebacker, cornerback, safety, little Swiss Army knife on defense coming out of Westchester. Signed as an undrafted free agent to the Green Bay Packers. Let me really quick awesome. tell you what the Green Bay Packers just got with Nadir Rouse. They got somebody who, much like the big safeties of the NFL world, can drop back into coverage but can wreak havoc if he comes up in the box. A great tackler in the open field, great on defense, and probably the hardest worker you're going to get. Um, Just to tell you a little story, a couple years ago, Nadir Rouse, he grew up in Philly, was shot outside of his house in his head. Shot in his head, yes, and then made a comeback and is now playing in the NFL. That doesn't tell you the determination on this kid, then nothing will. The Packers are going to have a real good one. He's going to make the team, and I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to get snaps. You're going to see Nadir Rouse make plays on Sundays. Uh, So then, if we're doing that, real quick, shout out to my man Michael Dogby, who got picked in the seventh round to the Cardinals. Didn't get shot in the head or anything, but he's just a really nice guy. Had a personal branding <laughs> well. class without, with him. Shout out. Michael he's not Dogby, as cool. Man. He's a cool guy. He's a defensive tackle. <laughs> he's big. He's huge. He's like one of the biggest people I've seen in person. Yeah, and that's, the, Cardinals need, the Cardinals need all of that. Um, let's see who got the steal of the draft. I think it is the Cardinals. I, 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 I've been on paper. I've been on podcasts saying Hakeem Butler. Butler. I, I really do think that he has all the tools. All he needs to do is add some finite technical type stuff with his hands, route running. But that's stuff that you learn. You don't learn being 6'5", running a 4'4". You don't learn good hands. You don't learn speed. And you don't learn, you know, your, your prowess and your stature. You're right. He's got to be better with his route running. I think he can clean up his route running a little bit, especially his footwork on the line. His work online doesn't get great separation, and we know NFL cornerbacks have great technique and great footwork off the line. If you don't create that separation, you aren't going to catch many passes. And he's in a great situation as well. Who better to grow with than the franchise quarterback that mm-hmm. just got selected number one overall? They're going to want to throw the ball. Uh, is Larry Fitz coming back? Yes, he is. <laughs> so right there you have a phenomenal big-body receiver to learn from. Pre-draft, he was working with Calvin Johnson, mm. another pretty good big-body receiver to work with. And as I said, and he's going to be in a receiving core that they're not going to ask him to do things that he can't do. They drafted a 5'8", you know, Andy Isabella, tiny mm-hmm. uh, slot receiver. So this guy's not going to have to slide into the slot and do anything that he can't do. He's in a great position to succeed, and I can't wait to watch him. And he's really got no competition for the number one and number two receiver. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be all him. Uh, I do think that Montez Sweat... Uh, was to steal a draft. Montez Sweat could have been a top ten pick. Yeah, and he and he really slid, and then the Redskins got him to aid in that pass rush. Um, if you look at all the stuff that was saying about Montez Sweat coming out of the draft, um, great. Uh, 
great strength, great power from the defensive line position, loves getting to the quarterback. And what the Redskins can do is tell him your only job is to go get the quarterback. We don't need anything else from you. Got Zach Brown back there. Got Ryan Kerrigan who can go back and drop and pass for us. We need you to go get sacks. And with uh, a division with not the greatest uh, offensive lines going out, the Cowboys have been in and out in injuries. The Eagles have their injuries on offensive line. Um, the Giants. I meant boo to, boo to the Cowboys. Yeah, just we, cl- clarifying. We that. don't even have. We don't even <laughs> have to talk about the Giants' offensive line. So he's going to be able to get after the quarterback. And the the Redskins got a steal, man. They they really did. Uh, someone else who got a steal just really quick before we move on. How about the Dolphins with the second with a second round pick getting a top ten pick from last year's draft, Josh Rosen? I don't think Rosen was ever we've talked about him a little bit. I don't think he was ever given a fair shot. Mm-hmm. I think that now as at least a year or two as the franchise quarterback for the Dolphins, he's going to be able to prove himself, going to be able to have some stability with a coach that isn't going to be fired after a year, maybe. Right. <laughs> and he's going to be able to have some weapons around him. I don't know. I just think that with the, in, in the second round, you're not often... Like, imagine trying to say, all right, hey, we'll give you the uh, second round pick next year for the ninth overall pick this year. If which we're Josh being completely with. honest here, I think Philly could be a Super Bowl threat this year to a favorite. I say that because they picked up Andre Dillard and Miles Sanders. I mean, I know those those are only two players, but they were good grabs. Dillard, were, Dillard was a really good grab. Yeah, they, they moved were up grabs. And, and it, it surprised me that the Eagles were that willing to go up and get an offensive lineman with their first pick. And I think that kind of signals the end of Jason Peters or signals that their awareness that Jason Peters it's is coming to, is coming to yeah. it. And he's, yep. he's in and out uh, of the starting lineup of the starting rotation. He's hurt a lot, and you got to get somebody to replace him. It also makes two straight years that Howie Roseman has moved directly in front of a team and selected the player that they're going to take. Last year, it was Dallas Goddard taking him away from the Dallas Cowboys that was great. As an Eagles fan, I can tell you I was pretty hyped about that one. And then <laughs> this year, I believe the Texans had Dillard in their sights. So they needed to tackle as well. Moved up and took him. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right, fellas, let's move it over to the crossover. For those of you who don't know, the crossover is our new segment where we compare sports players to something or someone in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys want to hit it off? Let's do it. Uh, Jake, tell me right now, who is the Arya Stark? Of the sports world. All right, so I know you guys don't watch Game of Thrones, but I don't. possibly the most important, not possibly, the most important episode and most epic episode of Game of Thrones happened this Sunday. Look how hype he is. I don't, like, well, I'm, I'm debating <laughs> on whether I want to give what happens. If you haven't watched, yeah, all right, I won't give I what I haven't ha- watched it, but I've been on Twitter. I already know what happens. Yeah, if, if you haven't seen <laughs> it on, on social, social media. All right, how about this? <laughs> if you haven't seen the episode, stop the podcast right now and go watch it. Arya Stark takes down <laughs> the Night King in epic fashion. I compare her to Michael Jordan. In the clutch, there is no one better. A straight killer at the end of the game. The way that she came up. And was about to stab him, and at the very last second, switches hands, stabs him in the stomach. The Night King is dead. It was epic. She makes one good play, and now she's MJ. Yeah, right. She's been training all her, all the, all the entire series I to be Michael down Jordan. Over there. She was, she was over getting beat up by the Pistons and or uh, what are they called? The faceless, the faceless God training to be an assassin. 
getting beat up in the conference finals to come over <laughs> and finally take down the Night King. It was epic. No, and here's what I will say. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I never have. I don't really have a crazy need or desire to. But I did see that clip of Arya switching hands. It was right, cold. Right, it was the coldest move. And it was very Michael Jordan-esque. Got caught in midair. Didn't know what she wanted to do. <laughs> Quick on her feet. Dropped the arrow and put it. And wasn't it in the only spot that the Night King could die? Uh, that, that is. So you're getting. See, you act like you don't know Game of Thrones. That's some <laughs> lore right there. They didn't even say that in, in the, the show. The right. It was so in the, the heart. The is, dragon glass got put in. Yup. That, that stat mat fell on us in right there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he got turned into the Night King or White Walker by being stabbed in the heart. Supposedly the only way that you can kill him is by hitting him in the, that region with a piece of either dragon glass or Valyrian steel, as you are well aware of, I'm sure. Yeah, no, that all made perfect, perfect sense, right? <laughs> all made perfect <laughs> sense. All right, my turn. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Lil Wayne mm-hmm. is the Magic Johnson of the rap world. Mm. Let me tell you I'm why. I'm about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Lil Wayne's my guy. If, if anyone knows me, knows mm-hmm. I'm probably the biggest Lil Wayne fan you'll ever meet, have been since No Ceilings Dropped. And let me tell you how Lil Wayne has transitioned from being the best rapper uh, in his in his era to now being a mogul, just like Magic Johnson transformed from being one of the best players of his era to now being a mogul. So Wayne was the star player on Young Money, as Magic Johnson was the star player on the Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. Then when when Wayne didn't retire, but Wayne has moved sectors. He's less about rapping and more about being a mogul now. And when he did that, he passed the torch, and he passed the torch to one great which is Drake. When Magic Johnson moved on, Magic Johnson wasn't a direct pass, but right after Magic Johnson left, there was about a seven, eight year period. And then who did the Lakers draft? Or who did the Lakers trade for on draft day? Kobe Green Bryant, okay? Passing the torch and being simple like that and now has spearheaded the best franchise of all time. So are you comparing Drake? To Kobe Bryant, is that also a comparison you're willing to sign off on? I'll sign off on that. Uh, well, I think bold. I think Drake could be a little higher than Kobe Bryant is on an all-time list. I mean, look, Drake is going to oh. go down. Drake, uh, 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 oh. Drake is. <laughs> argue this. Argue this. Drake is. Our producer Kyle shakes his head. I don't. I, I'm not even looking at Kyle because I don't know how you hate Drake. Drake is going to be oh, known. I hate Drake. As, he just doesn't compare to Kobe uh, Bryant. Yes, he does. He's a top, if not a top five French artist top of 10. all time. French top ten. Just like Kobe. Fringe top 10. No. Anyway. Top 10 what? Players. Drake is top to fringe top 10 what? Artists? Rappers what? Uh, I don't think you can say rapper. I mean, he does more than just rap. Okay. Right. adds That's, to his sound. I but, classify him not so I much as an artist. artist. An yeah. artist. Drake is, is a top five artist of all time. You, you cannot tell me that he's not. I'm not uh, saying he's When you not. bring him into artist category, you're talking about Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah, it's just, listen. The this Beatles. is getting touchy no, 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 territory no, no, no. here. I, we're diverging <laughs> on our points. You think I'm agreeing with you. I'm not agreeing with you. <laughs> I don't understand how you can disagree with me. Put it this way. Young Money equals Lakers. Lil Wayne equals Magic Johnson because he's a mogul. He's been the best coach. I almost went Bill Belichick mm. because Bill Belichick um, – is the coach of the greatest franchise of all time, greatest football franchise of all time. Wayne is the coach of one of the best labels of all time. And I can do this. Tom Brady is Drake. I can do that. And not only that, both Magic and Lil Wayne have had their share of serious health scares as well. Lil Wayne with his seizures. Mm -hmm. My man Wheezy, if you're listening to me, put down the syrup, bro, please. I need you you on this earth. Uh, Jewel's got a good one. Jewel, tell me who the Kevin Durant of the pop culture world is. So I got a little bit out of a box one once again, but you know what? I'm going to keep it going. Um, For all my Harry Potter fans out there, um, (laughs) 
Voldemort snake, Nagini. Uh, I know a lot of people compare Kevin Durant to a snake. Um, so I, I say that because in the sense for him abandoning um, Oklahoma City and yeah. joining their rival, the Warriors. Some people mm-hmm. consider that the, the easy way out, the easy road, or joining someone... a, a stockpile roster with premium players as it was. But this is what I will say, too. It makes my blood boil still. I, I do have respect for KD in a sense because he still made the decision to jump on his own terms. That's why I still have respect for him. But at the same time, he's abandoning and going to a rival team, which and I don't. If you look at it, from this I angle have, as well. About I it. totally agree with you. He's also a cold-blooded killer mm. when it comes down to exactly. it. Nagini was uh, roughing some people <laughs> up as well in in the various Harry Potter movies. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's a good comparison. Uh, and you can say, correct me if I'm wrong, Voldemort Snake Nagini is like almost I don't want to say like a henchman, but is a a was a Horcrux for him. It was a Horcrux so for part of him technically. You know what I mean? KD is a Horcrux of the Warriors, right? Part of mm-hmm. part of the Warriors' evil empire and the evil dynasty that is the Warriors. You want to destroy the Warriors? You got to start. You got to start with KD. Yep. You got to take him out. That's what this summer it will happen. Uh, do you think so? Do you think KD resigns? Resigns with the Warriors? No, I hope not. No, I don't think so. I, I think he's. I think he's destined. I, I said on here before that he might go back to Oklahoma City. Uh, as our man Mike Sampson pointed out, they would have to do some restructuring, major restructuring of the cap to the tune of like $70 million. So maybe it's not the most feasible. I still think that if he wanted to make it happen, he would make it happen. But I, I, if I had to put money on it, I'm putting money on him going to New York. So, Jewel, let me ask you this. If KD leaves the Warriors, does not re-sign and goes somewhere else, possibly back to OKC, goes to his hometown in D.C., is he still the snake? Yes. Or does that, that change it? He's, why? Why is he still the snake? Because he, can, he can't undo what he did. That's correct. Okay, so this is a... You, That's right. what I think. He can't undo what he did, so he's already got the label. But I think there's still room for him to redeem himself and climb his way back up if he does it the right way. He goes from um, being the guinea to now Snape if he has that redemption arc. Yeah, right, because Snape... Hey, I like didn't, Snape. Yeah, didn't didn't <laughs> Snape... Didn't it come out at the very end of Harry Potter that Snape was trying to, like... To save Harry Potter mm-hmm. the entire time. Yep. Yep. Okay, so KD was never. He doing had that. his back low key. Who would be Harry Potter? He was actually Russ? trying to destroy the Warriors from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> they tried, but winning three championships, he really tried to do that. You know what I mean? All right, guys, let's hit the buzzer. At the buzzer, or um, I apologize, we're going to the countdown. Yep. Number five. Number five is the number of top thirty-five recruits that Duke has coming into this season. Mm. Um, they're, they're another stacked recruiting class. The best recruiting class. They have the number one, three. Uh, and I think seven, so three of the top ten, and then five of the top 35. Here's what I'll say. Duke is destined for another bounce in the tournament. Mm. It, experience is what wins in the NCAA tournament, and Duke, Coach K has really shifted from four-year players to these one-and-done players, and Coach K doesn't know how to coach them. Mm. It, it's not going to happen. Duke is going to be very exciting in the regular season, and then come playoff and tournament time, they'll make a splash, but they won't get it done. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Number four? Number of kickers and punters taken in the NFL draft. Oh, I know. I don't going understand this. why teams keep doing it. I don't even mean to pick on the Buccaneers, but as an example, the Buccaneers moved up in the second round oh, to take man. a kicker, oh, and it man. didn't work out. And you wasted your second round pick. I don't get why teams keep doing it. Okay, let me say at the time and still is he's the best statistical college kicker of all time. But I do not justify moving up to the second round to get him, especially with the holes the Bucks had. I just like I don't, I don't, Jake Elliott. Undrafted, all I got to say. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Three. Number three is the number of Clemson defenders taken in the first round this year. You know how they call Florida DBU. They call Penn State LBU. They're going to start calling Clemson DLU 
defensive lineman university because the defensive linemen that come out of Clemson are just beasts year after year. We saw them absolutely destroy Bama last year along with Trevor Lawrence, but I think they're going to have to start. If you're a D lineman and you want to be an elite, a prolific D lineman and go pro, go to Clemson. Yep. <laughs> Two. The number of baskets Jason Tatum scored in both game one and two versus the Bucks. If the Celtics have any hope of taking down the Bucks, they're going to need Jason Tatum to start getting it going once the Bucks figure them out. Uh, yeah, Jason Tatum wants going back home. It's easier for a role player to play at home, so it's um, for him to have a bounce back game three, and then, you know, we'll turn it from there. Number one. Last one is the number of series the Warriors have lost up 2-0 in the current era. We know what that one series has been. <laughs> Sir LeBron coming back from 3-1. Here's what I will say is this series with the Rockets is not over, you hear me? We go back to Houston for two games, defend home court, and make this a three-game series. So y'all boys in the Bay better tighten up. Yeah, it's a four-game series. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. That's it. That's All right, guys. We're hitting at the buzzer. Have anything um, to say to the buzzer, Joel? Um, yes. I had a nice and rude awakening Sunday morning on my South Lowe Sunday. For those of you who don't know, I live on 2 Street. Um, where all the mummers live. Um, oh, that's fun. It, it was nice. What do you um, call your Sundays? Uh, my self-love Sundays. Self- I'm, reflect- <laughs> I'm reflecting on my sins from the night before. <laughs> okay. um, so I'm chilling in my bed, doing my thing. For those of you not from the Philadelphia area, the mummers are a group of people who get together every New Year's Day to kind of, you know, walk on Bring Broad Street. It's a little bit of a competition, um, but it's all in good fun. And then they'll come back to uh, Two Street, Second Street at night and kind of put on a performance for the local. Locals. And it's all good and fun, but this is what I will say. Um, I have a balcony on Two Street, so it, it's very nice. Had a nice little party this year. The day after, I walk into the bar next to me, and I ask the guy, the bartender, I go, hey, listen, um, that was so much fun last night. When do you start playing again? When do you start practicing? He goes, Jewel, we, we start today. I go, excuse me? Oh, no. And they go, yeah, we start today. We start raising money today. I go, you're like the goddamn who people. Yeah. You live and breathe. You're like the goddamn who people. You you live and breathe it. So yeah. I wake up Sunday morning to people moving and degrowing and party rocking and they're mumming and drumming. I'm about to get out there on my balcony and get my like xylophone out and join on in with them at that point because I am up at that point. I am up. I'm ready to go. And that's all I got to say. Just uh, if anybody's moving to Philly, I'm giving you the forewarn for two street. Uh, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> what I will say is, God, at my buzzer and the one of the most anticipated no, the most anticipated TV episode happened last weekend. What also dropped in the same day was the most anticipated or same weekend was the most anticipated movie of the year, maybe of all time in uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. I have not seen it yet. Okay, there are some people, many people, who still have not seen it yet. Yet. People love to go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and social media and spoil what will be the greatest movie-going experience that many of us will ever have. If you are one of these people, I need you to do one thing for me. Go in a cave and rock there. No one wants to see your spoilers. No one wants to see that you know more than any of us. And they're getting, like, clever with it now. They'll drop these things called spoilers with no context. So they just drop random pictures that you don't know what they mean, but you know they have something to do with the movie. If I, if you know the Marvel series, which I do, you can still pick out what happens with these little stupid spoilers. I thought it was called the director wrote a note. He's basically asking like, it's like don't a spoil virtual, it for it's people. called hashtag don't spoil the end game. Right. And people still want to spoil the end game. Please stop doing it. You malicious people. God, you. wait at least a month and then we can all talk about it. 
All right, so what I have for At The Buzzer, buzzer is uh, your daily dose of cringe. <laughs> On Saturday, I was at Xfinity Live uh, before the Sixers' first playoff game in round two uh, versus the Raptors. And my girlfriend and I were sitting, enjoying a drink, and the, the DJ there does a game. It's a family feud game where he goes around with a cameraman and a mic that's hooked up to the whole place. I've seen and it. And he asks you questions, right? So the question was, name a top ten two-way player in the NBA. I was the third person to answer this question. So, Joel Embiid and Kawhi Leonard were taken off the board. Mm -hmm. It comes to me. They had said that they had polled Sixers fans in the parking lot. Meaning, I'm thinking, there's about three players of the Sixers who could feasibly be on this so list. So, said something stupid. So, I think, who is a great two-way player on the Sixers? How about one Mr. Ben Simmons? Except, I'm a little juiced up. I go and do it and deliver it in Matt Cord, the Sixers PA... Where he does the intros, I scream it into the mic. Example, please. Here goes Mr. One Ben Simmons. Okay, so I do that into the mic. Oh. Not a single person <laughs> reacts. Some people turn and like look at me like, what is going on with that kid? That's so I'm fire. waving around. Oh. And then I hear the buzzer ring out through the live. Is not in the top Let's ten. Go. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask our viewers this question. Tell me, is Ben Simmons not a top ten two way player? Like they had Drew Holiday, Jimmy Butler, LeBron, Westbrook were, was on this list. Ben Simmons is better than at least one of them as a two way player. Maybe all of them. Tell or we're gonna put this out on social media. You guys got to tell me. We're at the buzzer, so we gotta wrap it up. I follow on Twitter, Instagram. Tell me if Jake is right or wrong. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one. Big ups to Greg Barry and Kyle Sobieski and Stat Matt Robinson behind the camera for my partner, Joel Schmitz. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. For my partner, Jake Galley, I'm James Jackson, and these have been the facts. Straight up.